Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Showcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler from the state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we're grateful that you're tuned into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can just go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the live show. There are over 1,700 live shows on Blog Talk Radio at this hour. And my show has consistently been on the first few pages of that website. Now, I want to thank the Blog Talk Radio for that. I don't know what the criteria is for them doing that, but I'm just really grateful for that. And, of course, we give all thanks and glory to the great God of heaven. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B. Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask you to abide with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy 
and Divine Word. Father, we pray to be with my co-hosts on the show this evening, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordell, as they break into our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host Glenn McMillian will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you'll bless their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who will tune in via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak. And we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us in love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening in the first segment, my co-host Brian Christian Coleman. He serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shouted out platform on social media. My co-host Glenn McMillian serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. He'll be answering our question for that segment. And then to close out the show, my co-host Steve Cordo. He serves as the evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds, and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice will be that of my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. Enjoy the show. Come on and send the light. Send the light. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host, Brian Christian Coleman. Good evening, Brother Butler, and all of our listeners who have been so faithful in listening every single Thursday. It is a great honor and a marvelous privilege to be able to share what little I know of God's Word. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 18 to 28. And we'll read a few short uh, verses, and we'll go right into our lesson. Again, that's the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 18 to 28. And the Bible reads, And when he saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. And said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hand to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilad 
with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Jerusalem, to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Spend the next few minutes speaking on this as the Spirit guides me on this subject. And I'm sure this subject affects every single one of us as members of the Church of Christ. My subject this evening is entitled, A Minor Setback for a Major Comeback. A Minor Setback for a Major Comeback. In our lives that we live today in this present time, we're all going to face issues and problems in our lives. We need to recognize in our lives we are going to face some days that are not always going to be sunny and bright. Some days we will go through them without any conflict or issues, but other days are going to be facing challenges and problems that are going to test our faith, test our stamina, test our will, and test our endurance. Just because you are a Christian does not mean that every day is going to be like Sunday. Just because you have come out of the dripping waters of baptism does not mean that each day is going to be sweet and easy. Just because you are a child of God does not mean you are immune from challenges, heartache, disappointment, sorrow, pain, loss of a loved one, hurt, or failure. And let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over. Just because you are a Christian does not mean that Satan is not going to bother you. Just because you are a member of the blood-bought, hell-proof, heaven-bound Church of Christ does not mean that you're always going to have the right frame of mind with people in your own family or people at your job. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible also says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, If ye have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We all have and will face issues, disappointments, troubles, and other obstacles in our lives. We're all going to lose loved ones in our lives. We're all going to make some bad decisions in our lives that we are going to regret. We're all going to deal with disappointment from a loved one, friend, and Lord knows from a family member. We all are going to be talked about, lied on, treated unfairly and unjust, (laughs) excuse me, ridiculed and called everything 
but a child of God. But one thing that we need to remember as we are dealing with the pain, that is God is still in the blessing business. God is still able to heal broken hearts, ease our sorrows, give us deliverance from our issues, put some pep in our step, provide us comfort in our hour of need, direct us through the storm that we are in. I'm so glad the Bible says in Psalms 30 and 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The Bible also says in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You may ask, how can I be joyful when I'm in this, in this storm that I'm in, Brother Coleman? You don't understand. I just lost my mother. I just lost my daddy. I lost a friend. I just lost my job. My car has been repossessed. My house has been foreclosed on. Am I barking up anybody's area in life right now? My sweetheart has left me after promising me that he or she was going to be there when this child that came care this child that I'm carrying came into the world. My wife won't feed me dinner because I said something that I should not have said. My children are not acting right. Am I, am I coming up someone's driveway, ringing your bell right now? The reason to be in joy, as James tells us, is because God is with us while we're in the storm. You see, the enemy wants you to concentrate more on the storm than the fact that, G, that God is still able let me sound my trumpet this evening. The enemy wants you to focus on your attention on the fact that you are without a job, without a place to stay, without a spouse, without a boo. You've gotten a bad medical result because they say that you have cancer. You've been diagnosed with diabetes. You have failed an exam for, for college. No matter what your issue is, the enemy wants you to focus on the problem and lose your focus on God. We need to remember that God is able, and he is there for us through the pain, through the suffering, through the failure, through the heartache, through the fire, through the storms of life, through the bereavement period, through the loss of a job. Our God is able. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, now unto him that is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation taken you but such that is common to man. But God is faithful. Remember that. No matter what you're going through, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. The Bible also teaches us while we are facing issues and problems with folk 
that are trying our patience and trying to block our blessings. Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. 1 John 4 and 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Am I talking to anybody this evening? Some folks think that they are all that with the right with the right chip and dip. But God is greater than anyone in this world. He is greater than your boss. He is greater than your director. He is greater than the governor of your state. He is greater than any congressman of your state. He is greater than any U.S. senator. And let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over and sound my trumpet. He is greater than the president of the United States. God is large and he's in charge. And man may lie on you, cheat on you, steal from you, knock you down, tell you that you tell you no to that promotion, tell you no to that car loan you applied for, rejected you for the house mortgage that you're applying for. We serve a God that sits high and looks low. Our God is long-suffering. Our God who is omnipresent. Our God who has many blessings to bestow upon our situations. And he sees that we are low in spirit, low in esteem, low in faith, heavy laden and tired, and he has a way to bring us joy. And let me tell you this. When God shows up and shows out, he will turn our situation from a minor setback into a major comeback. And man cannot do anything to stop it. Congregations, he can do nothing to stop it. Joseph's high school education. We see in Genesis 37 and 1 that Jacob, that Jacob is staying in Canaan. And Jacob loved his 17-year-old son Joseph and made the other siblings very jealous. But not only did Jacob love Joseph, he gifted Joseph with a coat of many colors. And that really made his brothers angry and hate him. We see this in Genesis 37 and 4. And they could not even speak of him peacefully. Haven't you got folk in your family who you have not done nothing wrong to? You walk with your head up high. You don't think you're better than anybody. And they still hate on you. They can't even think about you in a good way. So that's what's happening to Joseph. And that's what the church, and that's what means church, in every, in every word that comes out of their mouth when they thought about Joseph was not a pleasant word to hear. You see, we got people in the church sometimes that get jealous of us because God blesses us differently than they do them. Maybe they need to stop and look at themselves and find out why they're not being blessed the way they should. But many times, they just start hating on you. That's why we as members of the church have to stand firm on God's word. If you are married to your husband or wife, and they are not a member of the church of Christ, just keep on coming to church. Just keep coming to Bible class. Keep coming to midweek Bible study. Keep coming to Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship service. Keep coming to gospel meetings, soul winning workshops. And you keep on coming, and they'll see. Maybe we'll see some Jesus in you that's going to cause them to put aside their thoughts 
and become a member of the Church of Christ. But when we get got Joseph, when we got Joseph in real trouble with his brothers was not because of the coat of many colors, but it was because what happened in Genesis thirty-seven five through nine. That's when he revealed his gift of being able to interpret dreams, and he told his brethren something that really shook him up. He let them know that he had a dream and that they were standing before him and they bowed before him. And that got his brothers all upset and mad. That lets you know that you can't share everything uh, that, is, that God places on your spirit with someone who is immature. And I'm not talking about immature in age, but spiritually immature. They haven't grown up enough to be able to handle certain things that you tell them. That's why you got to be careful how you talk to people. That's why you got to be careful who you share your business with because you've got some haters out there and they don't like it when you're blessed by God. Can I get someone to say amen? You need to be careful who you tell your business to. And let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over. You need to share your dreams with people who are like-minded individuals. That means members of the church that have the same mindset in doing some church work. So hello, don't go to a freeze-dried member of the church that has no fire because that because they're cold will stale, stall your engine. Don't go to no sidewalk superintendent because all they're going to do is criticize what you're doing. You need to go to some real members of the church who don't mind some church work, someone who is on fire regarding evangelism, on fire about saving lost souls to Christ. There is one, there's an old saying that goes like this. If you don't tell people what street your parade is on, they can't rain on it. Hello? In verse 13, Joseph, Jacob sends, his, sends out Joseph to see about his older brethren or what they're doing because they were out there supposed to be tending their father's sheep. And the Bible tells us, and, and we all know the story, that Joseph afar off, they saw him, and his brothers wanted to kill him. And you know what they did? His older brother, Reuben, as was mentioned in the text, said, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a, in a pit. But they put him in the pit, but while he was in the pit, the Bible says that Ishmaelites came by where they were. And the Ishmaelites were on their way to Egypt. They took their blood, their blood brother. They sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Then they killed an animal, dripped the, go the coat of many colors in the blood, and told their father that a wild beast had devoured Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph mourned, Jacob mourned the loss of his son for many days. And the Bible closes in chapter 37, letting us know that Joseph was sold to Potiphar, an officer in Pharaoh's, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard of his army. The Bible says in Genesis 39 and 2 that the Lord was with Joseph. See, even though he was away from his family, he was not on his territory, but when he was on the enemy's territory. And I've stopped by to tell you, you can be on the enemy's territory and God can still bless you. Say amen 
if you can. You don't have to be on your territory. God can bless you on the enemy's territory, and he can make the enemy give you the blessing, and the enemy thinks he's doing your flavor. Come on, somebody, say amen. You think that you that they're doing you a favor. He's on the enemy's territory now. He's a slave in Potiphar's household. And the Bible lets us know that Potiphar saw something different about this young man. The Bible says that he saw that something was different about Joseph. This slave is not act like the other young men or other young other people who are slaves. He's not complaining. He's he's complying and doing what I told him to do. You see, Joseph is learning to be a servant. He is being content in his situation because the Lord is with him. This reminds us in the book of James 1 and 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, for the trying of your faith worketh patience. So now Joseph is learning some patience. He is learning some humility. He is learning how to be a servant. And we see in verse number four that Joseph found grace in his sight. I'm talking about Potiphar. And he served him, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put in his hand. Now Joseph had learned humility, patience, and being a servant. Now he's about to learn some responsibilities. He is being made overseer over Potiphar's house. He is in charge over all the servants. That means he gives the instructions to the servants. That means he directs the servants. You see how God can move when you really don't know he's moving? He's setting some things up. You prayed to God for that promotion. You prayed to God for that new car. You prayed to God for that new house. You prayed to God for this. You prayed to God for that. And sometimes you've just got to wait on God because God is setting some things up in your favor. Sometimes he's got to remove some stuff from you in order for things to go right for you, for his child. Sometimes he's moving some things away that you don't need anymore. You thought you needed it, but you don't need it because our God is working on our behalf. Our God is putting some things order because he's setting us up for a major comeback. Say amen if you can. Now, while he, all y'all know the story, while he was in the house, Mrs. Potiphar tried to get her swerve on. She saw this young, virile man, and you know she wanted to get Joseph with her. And the Bible says she went to Joseph and said, Joseph, lay with me. But Joseph didn't make no move toward her. And several times she tried to get with Joseph. And Joseph even asked her, how can I do this great sin before God? So he realized that God was setting things up all the time. We just need to be faithful unto God while we're going through what we're going through because we don't know how God is setting things up. That's why we need to be faithful unto him because he's setting things up better for us that we can come out on top. Because our God is able. And not long after, she got, she got the idea of getting Joseph all by himself, by keeping everybody else out the household. So when Joseph came in to do his, his work, she grabbed him. 
and said, lay with me. And we all know what happened. He ran and left his coat behind. And you know what happens when folk don't get what they want? They start to lie. She lied on Joseph, saying she was he was trying to get with her when it was her trying to get with him. And basically she cried and took this over to over to Mr. Potiphar, and Mr. Potiphar was tr- tried to show up. But you know that it's something that really interests me. You see, under the rules of slavery in Egypt at that time, Joseph being accused of rape, Joseph was supposed to be killed. Y'all realize that. But Potiphar did not kill Joseph. Potiphar put him in jail. Hello? It makes you wonder, why didn't Mr. Potiphar just take him and kill him? I believe because he knew that Joseph wanted nothing to do with that ugly woman. Say amen if you can. Now, just because he's in prison doesn't mean that God is still not with Joseph. Because while he was there in the the jail, the jailer saw something was different about this young man. He realized that God was with Joseph. And what did he do? He put him over the prison. And the Bible teaches us not long after, while he was in that prison, in the school of hard knocks, here comes the the, 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 uh, Pharaoh's baker and butler. And they were put in prison for a crime. Apparently, they must have displeased Pharaoh some way. And while they were in prison, Joseph listened to them while they were telling their dreams. And they both told their dreams to Joseph. And Joseph interpreted the dreams and told the baker, you're going to get out of here, but not with your head. And he told the butler, butler, you're going to get out of here. And you're going to be restored back unto Pharaoh. And all I ask is that you don't forget about me. How many times have you done things for folk? You've never mentioned that you did it, but and you've asked them to remember you. You've asked for different things, and they totally forget about you. And for three years, while Joseph was in that prison, the butler was up there back in the big house under Pharaoh. But one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And while he was, had that dream, he called all his wise men. He called his philosophers. He called all of the people that were wise there in Egypt. And none of them could interpret the dream. And the butler went up to, the, went to, Joseph, to the Pharaoh and said, I know a young man in jail who can interpret dreams. And he got him out of that jail and he came, Pharaoh, Pharaoh brought him unto him, and he, and he told the Pharaoh, both the dreams are one. He let him know, you're going to have seven years of plentiful harvest, and you're going to have seven years of a famine. And Pharaoh took this young man, after all he had gone through, Joseph became the big baller, shot caller, number one stunner, In all of Egypt, you see, Joseph had a minor setback. He was put in prison. He was put in a pit. Later on, he was sold into slavery. He was taken, accused of a crime that he did not do. 
and he was put in prison. But now he had his minor setback. But thanks be to God, here comes God setting things up, and he's giving Joseph a major comeback. Say amen if you can. Pharaoh makes him second unto him, makes him prime minister over Egypt. And he told him, only in the throne room am I greater than you. It just shows it doesn't, it's nothing wrong with serving God. Serving God pays off after a while. And Joseph is now the prime minister over Egypt. And he sets up everything that mighty Pharaoh needed, and he's now, he is now the Egyptian prime minister. But later on, as all of us know, here comes Joseph's brothers into Egypt to buy grain. Joseph sees his brothers and holds back his identity from his brothers. I'm sure he wanted to tell them who he was, but I'm sure he was upset still. He didn't know if his father was alive. He really didn't know anything because it had been a long time since they saw Joseph. We see here in verse 45, he is now, he, he had to learn how to deal with his issues with his brothers, selling him into slavery so many years before. Every once in a while, you're going to run into people that have done you wrong. You have gone through your own personal hell because someone has called you out of your name, lied on you, spread rumors about you, and now things have come full circle, and you are now face-to-face with that individual. Now, the question is, how do you handle the situation? Do you try to get even with that person that hurt you? Joseph shows us the proper way to deal with someone who has hurt us in our family. In chapter 45, beginning with verse 1, Joseph puts all the Egyptians out of the room. There are three rules that we should follow when it comes to forgiveness. First rule is don't make what is private public. Y'all got that? Rule number two, true forgiveness is not who is right, but making things right. And rule number three, bless someone who tried to hurt you and block your blessing. These three rules are found in the text. Joseph had the spiritual wisdom and maturity to understand that all he went through and how he ended up was no luck. He knew that God had been orchestrating everything that he had gone through because it prepared Joseph for the position that he now holds as prime minister of all of Egypt. Let me close by letting you, by giving, by asking a provocative question. Does anyone here today, within the sound of my voice, have a have a God story, a but God story in your life? I just want you to know, if the real Christians are in the audience, don't sit up here and act holier than thou and put a, put on a front that you don't have a past because you got into the church. You used to be a drunk, but God. You used to be a drug addict, but God. You used to be a prostitute, 
but God. You used to be a pimp, but God. You used to smoke cigarettes. You used to chase women, chase men, laid up, got laid off from your job. You've gone through different things. But I stopped by to tell you, every single one of us have a but God story. And we need to let let everybody know, I used to be something, but God. Because God is able to take us from a minor setback and allow us to have and bless us to have a major comeback. I don't know who you are tonight. I don't know who's listening tonight, but all of us have gone through some stuff in our lives. We've gone through the coronavirus for the last two and a half years, wearing masks, being socially distant, six feet apart. But God has blessed us to come out of this pandemic. And I stopped by to tell you that our God is able to bring us through any situation. All we got to do is wait on him. And if there's anyone here tonight within the sound of my voice who is not a member of the Church of Christ, you may ask, what do I have to do, preacher, to have a but God moment in my life? Well, I stop by to tell you, you've got to hear the gospel, Romans 10, 17. For faith, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You've got to believe what you've heard, John 8, 24. Except you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And if you die in your sins where I am, you cannot come. Then you must repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. The Bible says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must confess the sweetest words that you will ever say, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Acts 8, verses 36 and 37. And then you go down into the liquid tomb of baptism for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, 38. Wherein baptism washes away your sins. Acts 22, 16. You become a new creature. John 3, and verse 5. You become a child of God, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And God adds you to the church of Christ, Acts 2, 47. And if you are here today and you want to become a member of the church of Christ and you don't know there's a congregation near you, contact Brother Stevie, Stevie, Stevie Butler and he will let you know of the church of Christ in your area because the church of Christ is the only church that's found in the word of God. You will not find Baptist. You will not find Methodist. You will not even find Catholic. You will only find the church of Christ. Matthew 16 and 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. This is Jesus talking. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My church, a singular noun backed up with a singular pronoun. You will find church of Christ in the Bible. Romans 16 and 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss, and the churches of Christ salute you. I don't know what's on your mind tonight, but I hope I've touched someone's heart tonight that they know that you're going through some stuff right now. You're going, you've gone through some, some issues right now. You've lost loved ones. But I stopped by to tell you, that's a minor setback because God has a major comeback waiting for you. May God bless you. May God keep you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When God says no, and we want his answer to be yes, just remember, don't forget, Father knows what's best. 
As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific need. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at one 513 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. DBB's Media Production presents We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening every week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'm hosting the live show, What a Word from the Lord radio show. And every second Tuesday of the month, we have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ who will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also during that show, we have the Community Corner segment. That segment is designed for small business and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have four co-hosts on that show. Lou Gilbert, who's the evangelist for the Overbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves with the Church of Christ in Cary, North Carolina. And... Third, every third Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, my co-host Shauna Otis, she serves with the Grayway Church of Christ there in Nashville, Tennessee. Her team is the Mid-Tennessee Singles Ministry. And every fourth Tuesday of the month, my co-host uh, Kelly Fletcher has a show that airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Kelly Fletcher Show, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then on Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'm hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have eight co-hosts on this show who are presenting lessons from the Word of God. And each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook. I'll be posing to my one of my co-hosts on the, that, that live show as well. And then on Friday night, from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B's Fellow Gospel Music Blast. And on that show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, The Sweet Sounds of Voices. We're also interviewing artists, producers, comedians, etc. And we're also debuting new music and featuring old music on that show as well. Every third Friday of the month, we have the Top 20 Countdown Show. And we also have the on-demand episodes there of a variety of musical platforms that you can listen to these shows. If you have not had a chance to listen to any of these live shows, you can always go back and get those on-demand episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, etc., just to name a few. And I also have recorded version shows. These shows are album debuts mostly, and to, and the same playlist was used for those from the live show on Blog Talk Radio. And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio, on Deezer, and also on Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B recorded version shows. We want to thank all of our sponsors who've been sponsoring these radio shows. If you want to be a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B's Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. 
And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Live radio show. Stay tuned. After the break, our shout-out question is up next. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. God's hand is amazing. Wipe your weeping eyes.
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out, question. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out, and we want to pose this question to my co host, Glenn McMillian from the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. Glenn, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Now, are you live on Facebook at this moment? I am. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you're on social media, just go to Facebook, Glenn McMillian, go to his Facebook page, and you can see his presentation as he answers this question. Now, I have a doozy for you. Now, this is questions from the anonymous queries. I don't have a state where they're coming from, but the question is, now, does the Bible not believe in progression? Are we just supposed to adhere to the same set of beliefs and guidelines despite societies changing and growing throughout thousands of years? What say you to this question? Uh, This is a very, very uh, timely question, which is why I uh, chose it. It is a question that I think that we as Christians need to have uh, a good answer to. I I think that the temptation here is for me just to quote Hebrews 13.8, where it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or Malachi 3.6, where God says, I, I am God, I do not change, and then just go about our day. Say, say, we can just uh, say the discussion is over. But the problem is that the person who's asking this question uh, is not going to be satisfied with that answer. They're not going to understand that answer because they're not coming from this question from a spiritual perspective. They're coming from a perspective where they're seeing the culture around us as it evolves. And we as Christians are saying that we stick to the text that was written almost 2,000 years ago now. So how do we as Christians reconcile that difference in our minds, and how do we make that something that appeals to uh, people who are on the outside who are looking and looking in and wondering how we're functioning the way we function. So the first thing that we need to address is the does the Bible believe in progression at all? The, the, the first problem with that is that it's not entirely true, right? We understand that there has been some progress from the time of the patriarchs to the time of Moses to where we are now. We, we, we understand the three dispensations of, Christ, of God's uh, dealing with man, and there has been progression. God's fundamental nature hasn't changed. Jesus Christ hasn't changed. But the way he deals with us has changed as uh, Revelation progressed throughout history. That being said, 
we are now, as Hebrews 1, 1 says, at these last times in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. That they, That is the last revelation. And so at that point from 33 AD on, we have been uh, under the law of Christ, and the, and the law of Christ has not changed in that period of time. So, but society has. And so how, what is, what is the problem? What, where is this coming from in terms of what is so objectionable about the standards that we are upholding um, that people are resistant to sticking with it in light of what's changed? And usually that's coming from two or three different places. Um, and I'll, I'll try to, for the sake of time, be brief with going over each of these uh, lines of argument. Um, but first, they're, they're looking at the uh, what, is, what is normally called the, the sexual revolution. And there's, there's many parts of uh, the sexual revolution that, that come across. The, the liberation of women as uh, sexual beings, the homosexuality, LBGT movement, all of that is kind of roped into uh, this this idea. And the from a nominally Christian perspective, the rebelling against the what they call purity culture in Christianity, all of that is part of the, this umbrella that we we call the sexual revolution. And we see that there's been so much change from what the Bible says in terms of being physically pure, being sexually pure, having one, one sexual relationship, a man, a woman, married for life, to what we see in the world, which is anything and everything is now acceptable. Um, and so when we see that drastic contrast, there's a lot of places where a person could say, how can the Bible expect me to stay, stick to this standard when the world allows everything, anything and everything? Um, and again, and, and what, I would, what I say here is, okay, number one, the, the thing that you have to understand is, in this, is that movement, all movement is not progress. Uh, just calling it progress <laughs> uh, implies that things have gotten better, that we've gotten closer to some kind of idea. Um, but what we've, what we've seen is movement. We haven't seen progress. When we talk about the sexual revolution, what, what about this has made things better uh, for people who are engaged? With it? What, we, what we see in reality is a lot of empty, meaningless sexual relationships, a lot of broken households, a lot of broken families. Uh, you know, we see the rise of sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, we see uh, all kinds of chaos uh, that, that comes from being free and open sexually uh, that could be avoided, that, that all of that headache could be avoided by staying in traditional relationships that the Bible prescribes. And, and it affects every aspect of life. I mean, 
this sexual revolution has hit single women the, the hardest because they are often let left with the consequences of these relationships with uh, with children that they did not plan for, that they were were not ready for, and have no support system for. And that has led to uh, the out of wedlock birth rate in America is somewhere around 50 to 60 percent, uh, and the chances of those kids ending up in poverty or ending up in jail is much, much higher than kids that are raised in two-parent households. Um, and, and as a as a uh, an anecdote that I that struck me as particularly ironic, uh, when the whole Roe versus Wade thing was overturned, I, I saw a tweet by a woman who unironically posted that if there's not going to be any type of abortion available, then we need to not have any sex until we we've made a contract with our partner that if they get us pregnant, that they're going to support us. And we have, we write that, have that down in, in writing and notarized. And as, as we, uh, in, in our Christian world, we know, we like, yes, that kind of contract already exists. It's called a marriage license. And if you had stuck to uh, the traditional values and, and gotten married before you entered in a sexual relationship, you could have avoided all of that problem. But, and, now that, and now you're recognized. Now people are starting to see that the movement, the sexual revolution, and movement, we've had movement, but it hasn't really been progress. And, it, and, it's, it's, and we, can, we can all still uh, appreciate and understand that the ideal relationship and the, the ideal situation that has the best outcomes for, for everyone involved is one man, one woman in a marriage relationship for life. Correlated to that, and, and that also kind of comes up, is the, the hierarchy situation that, that the Bible prescribes a, a man over woman hierarchy and, and its authority for men, and women are in a quote-unquote subservient role. And how can we as Christians support that role, especially within the church, when outside of the church, uh, men and women are, are equals, and they're in, in the workforce as equals. And you know, you might have a, a female boss, and there's no problem. So, so why is there this issue in the church? And again, I, I, I say again, that's that's movement, but is it necessarily progress? If we go again, going back to uh, what we talked about earlier, uh, the sexual revolution has made it clear that there's a lot of single uh, Female households, single female households, uh, don't perform well in, in terms of economic status, in terms of educating the kids, in terms of um, you know just overall quality of life. Um, it, it's better for there to be a joint household relationship. So, and is is it necessarily progress that there is? more female authority in the workplace and in, in politics, does that necessarily create better outcomes? Um, what it has done is it's reduced uh, the value of work, that having we've doubled the workforce. So now it, it used to be a man could go out, work, have a job, and take care of his whole family 
from that one job, and the woman was had was at home. She could stay, stay with stay with the children, provide for their education, and that was a stable family unit. Today, the expectation is that both parents are going to work, so the labor cost is, is has changed to reflect that. Uh, a man can't just necessarily. It's it's more much more difficult for a man to make enough money to provide for his entire family on his own. He's expecting that the wife is going to chip in. That makes it difficult for the raising of of children because they can't both be home. Now you've got this whole child care industry that's grown up in order to fill that gap, and then the the cost of child care is going up exponentially. So now families can't even afford the cost of child care. Now they're working an extra job to pay for the child care on top of not being able to make ends meet. We've had a lot of movement, but have we necessarily had progress? And am I saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with female leadership? Maybe, maybe not. We we haven't had a lot of research into that, but um, the researches that we've done hasn't shown that there's any advantage uh, necessarily. There may not the may not be a disadvantage, but there there certainly is no advantage. to female leadership in that sense. So we haven't really gained anything, and we've lost uh, this this aspect of, you know, being able to have a one provider and, and one caretaker and that dynamic, uh, which, again, is much better for the stability of the household and for the, the raising of children. So we've had movement, but it's questionable whether or not that's progress. Um, and then the other thing that, that typically comes up in this in this situation is the, the, the worship within the church. Uh, there's a uh, – we as Christians, especially in, in the Church of Christ, we believe that the Bible prescribes singing and worship. It prescribes an eldership and, and, and deacons. And you know the the specific roles that they that they fulfill, and the order of worship. I mean, not you know the specific tasks in in, in a specific order, but the the things that we do in worship are are defined in scripture. And there is a tendency to look outside and say. Well, you know, other congregations, other churches, other denominations uh, do do things differently, and they they seem to, you know, attract people, and they they build these huge mega churches based on what they do. Why can't we go and emulate them? Why can't we do what they're doing in order to achieve those same results? And again, I will say that not all movement is progress. That they they have created these uh, these situations. They've created these this worship experience per se, but they have compromised in order to create these 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 mega churches and, and these situations. In in most cases, they've compromised the core doctrines of scripture, and people can see that. People can once they they start thinking about getting serious about what the Bible actually says and they start doing some study, 
they do the side by side comparison and they say, okay, you're teaching us these things and, and you're, you know, you're teaching us that you're, we're allowed to do this, we're not allowed to do this, or we, we can inter, interact in this way. And, and yet, that's not what the Bible actually says. So, where is the biblical support in the New Testament for all of these music punishments and stuff that we're doing? And if, that, if you're just making that up, what else are you making? What we're seeing right now, this massive movement away from Christianity. Christianity in the in the 1990s was about 90% of Americans identified as Christian. Today, just 40 years, 30 years later, uh, that number is down to 65%. And most of that drop off is not from churches that are traditional and, and have a very set and defined uh, doctrinal structure. Uh, some of it is, but, but the vast majority of that drop-off is from these denominational, non-denominational, very liberal uh, types of ch- churches where it was about, you know, you can just kind of come here and, and anything goes and you can, and we're just going to stick to the positive stuff and not really dwell on anything controversial, and, and that held for a while, but as we're seeing now, there's no substance there, and people are not being held to any kind of account, and people are saying, if Christianity doesn't have anything to it, there's no substance to it, why should I be a part of it? And so, and instead of what they used to do in the old days of just switching to a different denomination, uh, now they're just leaving, and if, there, if I'm not getting fed here, my expectation of getting fed anywhere else is very low. So I'm just going to be done with the whole thing. So, again, that movement has not been progress. It, it swells congregations. It swells uh, – it, it brings people in for a time. But once they realize that they're not going to get everything that they want out of this uh, situation – whatever it is, because no, nobody can provide everything that everybody wants, uh, they're going to leave. And there's not going to be any uh, any value in making that change. And, it, and all you've done is compromise your integrity um, with regards to Scripture, because you can't support uh, any of that with Scripture. So all of that is to say that there is a sense in which uh, there has been movement um, on a lot of different things, uh, but not. But that movement is not really progress. That movement is not really better than or superior to what we see in Scripture. We have to recognize that the things that were set down in Scripture were set down by God Himself through Jesus Christ and His apostles. He is wiser than we are. He knows more than we do. He is he has designed the church in order to be universal and timeless. And the standards that he has set for us are what is best for us as people in not in just our cultural context, but in whatever context we find ourselves in. And so when we try to make improvements to the model, we're often going to find that 
the things that we change don't necessarily improve anything. We're going to make movement, but we don't actually make progress because progress is getting closer to the goal, and the goal is God's standard. And God has already given us this thing, so there's no reason for us to try to move from it uh, because any movement from it is, not, is going to be moving away from uh, where we're trying to go. And the only way to progress, the only way to get is to go back to what God has told us. And that, that is what we're trying to do constantly. And when we see things change, when we see things uh, move, and, and again, methods and, and like methods change. This, this whole program on the radio and on the internet, that's not something that the apostles had access to. But if they did, I'm sure they would have used it. So we have changed methods, but we're still preaching the same message. We're still preaching Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're still preaching the God that does not change. It's just the method has changed. And we're trying to reach as many people as we can. I can reach as many people who are on my Facebook friends list, which is you know, from somewhere around a thousand people, which is more than I could reach on a Sunday morning uh, at Waterview. Uh, so it's what we're trying to do, and, and you can share this video with any number of your friends, which could cause this video to go viral so that this message could reach around the world if it, if it wanted to. Uh, but the point is that even though the method has changed, the message stays the same. The the doctrine stays the same because the doctrine was put in place by somebody who's far wiser than, than I am. So I don't presume to change the doctrine, change, change the message for the better because I can't get better than what God has already put down. We are sticking to the standard because the standard is the gold standard. And any movement is just going to be decay, not progress. So I hope that answers the question. I hope that gives you uh, a little bit more uh, insight into what we what we mean when we say we're we're sticking to the doctrine, we're sticking to the text, and we're not going to allow culture to dictate to us what to do because culture can can say anything. Culture can do anything. Uh, just because the culture change does, that changes doesn't mean that that change has any bearing on what we should do because it's not going to be better than what is already set down. So the lesson is yours. Keep listening to the Gospel Light radio show. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. Nothing is moving, ain't nothing inside 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host steve cotto well good evening stevie thank you for having me on the show and welcome to everybody that is in the audience if you have a bible open up to amos chapter 8 that is where we'll be looking and studying out of this evening and while you're doing that what do you think of, let me ask this question, what do you think of when you hear the word famine? Well, typically we think of uh, a, a lot of people in a given area who don't have enough to eat, usually because the weather uh, maybe has caused droughts or there's been flooding and they couldn't grow crops. And there have been places throughout history where food has been used uh, as a weapon and has uh, been used to starve people. And that, those are serious things. Those are bad things that have to be dealt with. But th the famine that I want to talk about this evening is a different kind of famine. This is a famine out of uh, – or a famine of the Word of God. And this is a famine that is pretty serious. And in our world today, there is a definite famine for the Word of God. There is a definite spiritual, biblical malnutrition, biblical illiteracy. And, you know, we cannot be casual about our Christianity. We need to be uh, upfront about it. We need to be uh, firm about it. We can't be apathetic or indifferent towards it. And when we look at how much moral decay there is going on in the world around us, we see there is a definite 
famine for the word of God. And in Amos chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, this is where he says, Behold, let me back up just a second. Amos is considered one of the minor prophets, but he wasn't always a prophet. He started out as a farmer and a shepherd. And God called him to carry this very important message uh, to the people. Now, this is one of the ways that I, I believe we can tell the Bible is inspired, because God does not pick the kind of people that we would pick to do a job. If we have a message we want to get out or we have a product we want to endorse, We'll go to Madison Avenue and we'll spend lots of money to get whoever the hottest athlete is or the biggest movie star or fashion model to uh, let us take their picture and put it on a milk board uh, or a billboard with a milk mustache, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, or we'll have them uh, do a, a, a commercial where they are shown using whatever our product is we're trying to sell. But God doesn't operate that way. God picked this shepherd and farmer to go and take a message that the people needed to repent. And in chapter 8, verse 11, he says of Amos, is the book, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst, those who swear by sin, uh, by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Behold, I will send a famine in the land. We've got a famine in the land. And I would, uh, I would submit to you that we can see evidence of that famine just in the way the word of God is being treated, when it's uh, getting run out of the uh, public uh, sector when uh, people object to it being on courthouse lawns and things, there's a famine in the land. Now, throughout life, we realize that there are many blessings which a lot of times we don't value until they're gone. And that's true maybe of our physical blessings. Uh, we maybe don't value our eyesight until we go blind or we lose an eye or value our hearing until we lose uh, our, our hearing in one ear or both ears. And then what about our liberties? and our domestic habit, our political civil liberties. A lot of people, I'm afraid, aren't going to miss or, or don't realize what they've gotten, and they're going to end up losing them. And in our text, Amos assumes the same things will be found with the Word of God. Because when the Word of God is, is read, when it is possessed, when it is used, the gospel is heard. And it is too often the case that the privilege of hearing the Word of God just goes unappreciated. And I want us to look at this famine for the Word of God. And there are some similarities between what we have, and there are some similarity, or some differences between uh, us and Amos. And there's some similarities, and there's some differences. How is it different? Let's look at that first. Well, the famine that God uh, dealt with, or God sent then, was sent by God. It originated with God. Our famine today originates with humans. You know, God has provided for a feast, but we have a famine. How is that possible when we see the abundance of Bibles in the world? There are people, and I've got some in my congregation here, who do not bring a, a paper and ink copy of the Bible with them when they come to church or Bible study. They bring it on their phone, or it's on a tablet. I mean, if you have a smartphone, just take your tablet or your smartphone, put in Bible. Go to the App Store, put in Bible, and see what pops up. There will be hundreds of options. 
there will even be some commentaries and some study guides. There's some with their um, copyright in the public domain, and so they can be reproduced pretty easily without a lot of hassles for uh, uh, copyright issues. So there's no excuse for us not knowing the Word of God today. But yet there's more people today that are illiterate scripturally and, and have a, a, a biblical famine than there would have been 100 years ago. And today's famine, then, we can just say it's self-inflicted. It's because we are not reading God's Word. We are not taking it seriously. And here's something I came across when I prepared for this lesson. It's called the Diary of a Bible. And here's what it says. It says, January. It's a busy time for me. Most of the family decided to read me through this year. They kept me busy for the first two weeks. I'm forgotten now. February. My owner used me for a few minutes last week. He had an argument and was checking references. March. Grandpa visited us. He kept me on his lap for an hour reading 1 Corinthians 13. April. I had a busy day. My owner was appointed a leader of something and used me. And I got to go to church for the first time this year. It was Easter Sunday. May. I have a few uh, grass stains on my pages. I had some early spring flowers pressed into me. June. I took a scrapbook, or I look like a scrapbook. They have stuffed me full of clippings. One of the girls got married. July. They put me in a suitcase today. I guess we're off to a vacation. I wish I could stay at home, as I will have to stay in this thing for a month. August. Still in the suitcase. September. Back home again and in my old place. I have lots of company. I got two true, two true stories and four funny books are on top of me. I wish I could be read as much as they are. October. They use me a little today. One of them is sick right now and I'm all shined up and in the center of the table. I think the preacher is coming over for a visit. November. Back in my old place. December. They get ready for Christmas. I'll be covered under wrapping paper and packages. Now, why is there this present-day famine for the Word of God? Well, I think the answer can be found when we uh, compare this famine with the, with the one that for, was foretold by Amos. There are some similarities uh, between us and, uh, and Amos's day. And how are these things similar? Well, first of all, there's the material luxury that Amos uh, had in, in that day. They had a lot of uh, material blessings, just like we do today. And in fact, Amos chapter 6 uh, tells us that the, this material luxury became a cause of pride. And it was the kind of pride that God hates. This was a pride that, uh, that I'm so much better than you because I have a nicer car. I'm more blessed. I have a nicer car. Hey, look what I was able to do. I built up this business and I bought all this stuff. In Amos chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord said, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And then earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses there, uh, or through Moses, God said, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
from the house of bondage. And then skip down to verse 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me all this wealth. My power, I did all this. Back to verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8. Notice this, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. God had warned Israel that prosperity might cause some of them to forget God. And Jesus said that the riches could choke out those who received the word. Now, understand, there is nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong uh, that, that you save your money and you invest it and you take care of it. You use it wisely or as wisely as you can. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it does come down to priorities. It comes down to greed. Am I just doing this for money? I want more, 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 more. So we've got the material uh, uh, prosperity to deal with. And then there's also moral corruption. People in Amos's day had to deal with moral corruption in government and in, in the uh, religious uh, sect, sect, uh, sector. And this is where I like it when, when Bible critics try to tell me that the Bible is outdated. It, it doesn't say anything to us here in the 21st century. And I always think, oh, really? I pick something, the, uh, somebody, a character, like say David. David committed adultery, got, uh, murdered a man, got, uh, got him killed. Uh, he had a son that tried to kill him. He fought wars. And then I say to them, okay, so David did all these things. Have we cleaned up our act? In other words, we've gotten rid uh, of adultery. Nobody commits adultery anymore. Now, wait a minute. I, I know some people whose marriages got broken up because of adultery. Uh, we've cleaned the corruption out of politics. And, and well, if you go to pick a news site and go to it, you'll see that's not true. And David fought wars, and we've stopped all the wars, and everybody is peace, love dove. Oh, wait a minute. How many years have we spent in Afghanistan and, and Iraq? And, and what's going on in Somalia now? And what's going on on, on the streets of America that are becoming like war zones? Uh, so tell me exactly what is it that is outdated about the Bible? What are, what are we dealing with that is new? Because anything they dealt with, we're dealing with it. And as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. And so at times you can go to the Old Testament and see when Israel obeyed God, things got pretty good. But then they would get complacent. They would eventually drift away. They would end up in a real mess. God would raise a judge to, to bring them out of it. And then the cycle would start all over again. So there is nothing that, that that they dealt with that we're not dealing with. So if we would just go back to following the directions, we could solve a lot of our problems. And Amos, we, we see a lesson in that, in chapter, this is chapter 2 now, where ungodliness is really at the root of a nation's moral degradation. That is our main problem. We have forgotten God. And then there's also the problem with greed and oppression. Now, there's nothing wrong with, being, with, with making money. There's nothing wrong with uh, investing wisely and being a good steward. But greed, where that's all I'm living for, is money, 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 material gain. That, that, that's a problem. And flagrant immorality is another product of our rejection of God's word. We, who can deny that the same corruptions are having their effect also in the church? Because the world standards, unfortunately, often become the church's standards. Uh, this, I have this uh, clipping here, dated September 10th, 
And the headline says, Memphis Museum Sponsors Family-Friendly Drag Show. And this was at the Pink Palace uh, in Museum. If you're in the Memphis area, you probably are familiar with it. And the Museum of Science and History's grand culmination of our Summer Pride program and celebration of LBGTQ whatever, whatever. And this was the first ever drag show they'd had there. Now that is not something to celebrate. Family, it says it's family friendly. That's an oxymoron. Uh, it would be a sin to take uh, children or our kids to see something like that. That is not something that Christians should be doing. That is not something that any decent person should be partaking in. But that kind of corruption and decay is going on all over our country. And then we also got to look at the religious corruption that uh, is going on. Amos chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, the people there just couldn't wait to get their religious days over. It was becoming just a huge inconvenience for them to think about God. And how many of us do the same thing? Boy, that preacher is going over. Uh, uh, you know, the Baptists are going are gonna to beat us down to, to the cracker barrel. We got to go because we want to get a good table. We got a ball game. We got, you know, we're, we're in the presence of the creator of the universe and really need to remember to be respectful. We've got the prosperity gospel out there with a lot of corruption. We've, we've heard in the last couple of years of at least two of them that I know of, TV prosperity preachers that wanted money for new private jets. And one of them boasted that uh, he'd worn out three jets traveling all over the world for the Lord. And even the same one, Jesse Duplantis, was uh, one time someone called him a millionaire, and he said, no, no, you got it wrong. I'm a multi-millionaire. And I don't see Jesus bragging about, about that sort of thing. I don't see him flying around in private jets. He might fly commercial if he were alive today. He might uh, get an Uber. Maybe even he would own a car, but I don't think it would be a Rolls Royce or a stretch limo or anything like that. So there is a lot of corruption there. And the present famine that we have is going to produce the same or similar results to what Amos had. It's going to end uh, in disaster. In that day, says uh, God, uh, uh, telling Amos, that the fair virgins and, and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as, our, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. The prophet described a sad picture of the young people, strong, able-bodied, falling and not rising again. And doesn't that describe many of our Christian lives today, where many Christians suffer from a lack of spiritual food? If you're, if you're counting on just Sunday school and or the Sunday morning worship to feed you spiritually for the whole week, you got to reassess that. After, after uh, Sunday morning church, many people go out to lunch, go to a restaurant, you go to somebody's house. Is that the only meal you're going to eat that week? Uh, and later on in the afternoon, they might uh, say, hey, uh, anybody want any of the leftovers? Let's get that roast out. Let's, let's have some of that dessert again. We're going to eat again. And then Monday through the next Sunday, we're going to be eating physical food. But what about our spiritual food? Do you take time to read the Bible? There's our spiritual food. You can't just go uh, from Sunday through the rest of the week and eat only that one meal any more than you can uh, go through the whole week and not be reading God's Word. Because we're going to get hit with trials, temptations. We're going to have decisions to make, and we need guidance to make them. And to resist trials and temptation, to get the guidance that God wants us to have, first of all, you've got to have that faith in God. Believe that he will provide a way for us to escape. Believe he will provide uh, answers uh, to our prayers. He'll help us 
with temptation. It may be as simple as simply walking away from a situation and we and, and have the faith in God, but also have a fear of God, a reverence for God. But not only that, we do need to fear uh, God who can uh, destroy body and soul uh, in hell. And yet hell is a real place, and we might do a lesson on that another time. But it is a place that we don't want to go. And the Word of God is designed to impart that fear of God as well as that faith in God. It's designed to do both. In Romans chapter 10, we're told that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And people need to hear the gospel, the good news of salvation, before they can believe it. And the Word of God is the Word about Christ and what He accomplished. And we've got to proclaim that. And Deuteronomy chapter 31 is the will of God that all people learn of his word. And Peter said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul told Timothy, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that's why it is so urgent that we present the gospel to people. And then the gospel needs to be understood. It needs to be read. And, and that uh, so that the present generation can keep their knowledge of the laws of God. How are our kids going to know unless we teach them? And, you know, there's no way the public schools are going to do that. And look at how bad and corrupt and morally degraded Hollywood is becoming. It's going to be up to us parents, especially us dads and us husbands, to uh, make sure our children are brought up correctly. And our children need the spiritual truth of the scriptures. They need to uh, give uh, be, be taught and have it read in the homes. And that leads us to uh, just how do we end this famine? How do we deal with this famine of the, for the Word of God and, and uh, uh, put it out and defeat it? Well, first, we have to appreciate the power of God's Word. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, to the Jew first, or to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. God's Word possesses the power of creation. God was able to speak the universe into existence. We cannot do that. God was able to take nothing and make something out of it. He was able to do it and when nothing was there. God spoke the universe uh, into existence. Now, I have a, a couple of atheist friends, several atheist friends, and one of them had posted once on social media a statement to the effect that um, we haven't figured out how, some, or how something came out of nothing, but science is closing in on the answer. I got to thinking about that. Something from nothing. I know I've heard that somewhere before. Where did I hear? Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was uh, without form. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be uh, a lot of things. And it happened because God simply spoke it into existence. You or I, to, to build anything, we have to go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever, get the lumber, get the... Uh, electrical and the plumbing and everything, and then build it or have somebody build it for us. We cannot speak it uh, into existence. And then God's Word has also got the power to save. It's got the power for sanctification, to separate us. Jesus said in his final prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth, talking to God uh, there in his, in his last prayer. And then God's Word also has the power of preservation. How shall the young secure their hearts? By living according to your word, Psalm 119 and verse 9. And we see that God's word possesses the power also of salvation and condemnation. If you accept it, you obey it, you live by it, there's salvation. 
You reject it, there's condemnation. And the implanted word becomes a part of us when we take it in, we read it, we meditate on it, we absorb it, we put it into practice, we live it. And we have to feed upon the word of God. First Peter chapter 2, he says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk that you may grow uh, that by it you may grow uh, up in your salvation. You know, babies have to be fed. And new Christians, we have to take the time to feed them. How many of us who are parents, when, when we brought our, our, our infants home, did we just come in the house and kind of show them around and say, okay, well, there's the refrigerator. Now you just help yourself to whatever you want. Well, no. They had to be nursed or be uh, bottle fed. They had to have their diapers changed regularly. There was a lot of care that had to go into it. And there's a lot of care to go in new Christians. Now, new Christians will be at different ages. They're going to come from different backgrounds. But we can't just baptize them and give them a hug and say, well, that that's good, congratulations, and we'll see you next week. We've got to be on the phone calling them, text them, uh, send them messages on private media. We've got to reach out and make them welcome, bring them into the family. And then we have a simple practice of daily Bible reading will go a long way to bringing a baby Christian to adulthood. It'll go a long way towards ending this famine that we have with the Word of God. And as you read, take time, uh, make the time to meditate and to, and to pray. Let it sink in. Don't just skim over it like you're skimming over a grocery list. Take the time to sit and read it. You know, turn off a sitcom and spend 30 minutes reading you know, the Word of God or listening to it on tape. Uh, on tape. Who uses tape anymore? Uh, you know, use it, listen to it on a CD or get it off a website. Uh, there are some places you can get it uh, uh, verbal, uh, vocal, if you need it. Meditate on the word. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1-1 says, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is the godly or the blessed man. And praying for wisdom and help to obey God's word is another way we grow. It's another way we deal with the famine. Ask God to open our eyes and let us see the truth of his word uh, to help us to make a decision if we're in a in a uh, uh, serious situation. And so how, how can we – we're coming to the end of, of our lesson and our time now. So how do we, how do we uh, wrap this up? What are some things that uh, we need to do? Well, first of all, let's make the commitment not to neglect the all-powerful Word of God. Let's feast daily upon that Word. You don't just eat uh, after church on Sunday and that's the last meal you eat till next Sunday. We eat physical food every day. We need to eat spiritual food uh, every day. So that's my lesson uh, for this evening. I appreciate everybody. Thank everybody for uh, joining us this evening and listening. And I will be with you. I believe it's in two weeks. I have the shout it out question. And so I'll be seeing you then. Thanks for having me on, uh, Stevie. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our show. I want to thank you for tuning into our radio broadcast, and we certainly appreciate those who've been following our radio show on Blog Talk Radio on the website and on social media, Facebook Live as well. I want to thank my co-host Brian Christian Coleman and my co-host Steve Corder for their lessons on this broadcast this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, I am just so thrilled that I have men that are working with me who have committed themselves to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not get any better than that. I want to thank my co-host Glenn McMillian for answering that shouted out question. That was a very good, a uh, very thorough, detailed answer that he gave in regards to that shouted out question. Go to that shouted out question platform on Facebook and get involved in those biblical discussions. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast. It is our prayer that the lessons that were given on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio show, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler, and I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Will you forgive me? For I've done wrong. And will you accept me, Jesus? As I kneel at your throne, dear Lord, and all of my brothers. Will all make criticize and accuse. Yes, he will. But I know that my Jesus, he will make me brand new. I'm ready at my bidding, Lord. Lord, here am I, simply Cause you're a God of a second chance. I see them proud. And they each have a stone. Dear Lord. But you knelt beside me, Jesus, and my fears are all gone. Praise God, cause you give me peace, surpassing the mind. And I know that in Jesus, sweet compassion, I'm I'm ready at my bidding. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 277.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.